If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 34 this morning. Genesis 25, 19 through 34. Uh, as you're opening up there, I want to remind you uh, that we are having a drive-through meal again. You'll be able to pick a meal up. Normally, uh, probably today or next Sunday, uh, we would be having our annual missions auction. Um, and uh, things get a little weird there every year, as we all know. Um, my stress level is really low because I'm not worried about what my dad's going to say during the auction like I normally am every year. Um, he's trying to get prices and everything else from people. Um, but we're sad that we're not able to do that. But here's the deal. Uh, you can enjoy the delicious, as we like to call it, Irwin chicken uh, on Sunday the 17th. You can donate what you want. We're sort of like lasagna for Lottie. I think you guys remember this. Uh, and we'll be doing a drive through meal. You better pick that up. So just sign up for that food and uh, um, donate what you want to donate. And all that money will go to our missions fund, which is where the auction dollars normally go. So go ahead and open up uh, to Genesis 25 and... Um, you can see there in the chimes the different ways that you can sign up for that. Genesis 25, uh, verses 19 through 34. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Moses writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so that they called his name Esau. Afterward his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when... She bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let, let, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his gospel. And Lord, we pray today as we encounter the Lord Jesus in this text that your spirit would move in our hearts in such a way 
that we're changed by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We all know what it's like for brothers to fight. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Some of us have been the instigator. Some of us have been on the receiving end of a beatdown by a brother. But we all know at some level or another what it's like for brothers to fight. A year or two ago, our older son, Ford, came to me, uh, and he was pretty upset. And he came to me to tell me that his little brother, his name's Jim, that Jim was hitting him, wouldn't leave him alone, was beating on him. I said, Ford, buddy, you know, just, I'm not always a good dad. I said, Ford, buddy, just put an end to this. I, you know, I don't care. I'm, I'm not your daddy. Like, just go. Uh, I'm just kidding. You know, like... I don't, feel like, I don't feel like putting up with this. I'm not here to referee fights all day. So just, just deal with it. You're bigger than him. You're stronger than him. Just stop it. And Ford looked at me and said, but dad, I'm not stronger. <laughs> I, all of us at some level can understand strife between brothers. Some of us have experienced it, but we can all understand it. And here we see a story about two nations. Two nations in the womb. Two nations as the years roll by. Strife and enmity between brothers. And it's a story of strife that will last throughout all the pages of the Scripture. And yet, even as we look at the sort of twistedness of what's happening here, we, we, we don't, we're Christians we, we don't hide from the weird stuff in the Bible, okay? I, I just want to remind everyone of that. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't hide from the weird stuff in the Bible. Um, there's weird stuff, there's dark stuff, there's sinful stuff. Uh, there's dysfunction in the Bible. And I think we all recognize if uh, we read the Bible and there was no dysfunction and no bad stuff and no sin in the Bible, we'd say this book is ridiculous because it doesn't look like life. But we've all been around on the block long enough to know that this is what life's really like. The Bible doesn't hide from it. The Bible doesn't shrink back from the realities of the way the world is. The Bible shows us us. The Bible in so many ways is not only a way that we see God, but it's also a mirror. It's a means by which we learn about ourselves, by which our own sins are exposed. And so the Bible lays bare all of what it means for us to be us. It's not always pretty. And yet, in the midst of all of this, we see the hand of God at work. We see the Lord working in the midst of these difficult situations. And some of you are in a place in your life right now where that's exactly why your heart is troubled. You are experiencing difficulties and you are experiencing the sort of weight of the fall. You're burdened in so many ways. And the question that you can't get off your heart is, how exactly does the Lord work? What exactly is God even doing in these days? How exactly does God work? And if he works the way I think he works, why is it that I'm going through X, Y, or Z. So often we can find ourselves perplexed by the way that God works. But this morning, I, I want to show you, I want to show you the way the Lord has been working, and I want to show you the way He continues to work. That is, 
Throughout all human history, God has, has worked in certain ways, and even up until this very moment, God is continuing to be at work, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. I, I want to demonstrate to you from this text of Scripture three truths that show how God is at work, even when things don't seem great. Even when things don't seem great. Here's the first point this morning. God is at work despite the fall. Now, not the season, the fall. Not autumn, but the the fall, the capital F, fall. That is, if you go back, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis in the first three chapters, you see the way that the Lord made the world good. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought sin into the world through their disobedience to God. And that sin has, has affected and has been implanted in every subsequent generation. And we see the way all throughout the text of Genesis, and in fact, all throughout the text of the entirety of the Bible, we see the way that sin has got its tentacles spread spreading out through all of human society and all that things happen. We are fallen people living in a fallen world. You see some pictures of that here in this text. The generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren for at least 20 years, it seems like. He's 60 when the boys are born, so nearly 20 years Isaac spends praying for his wife. He and his wife spend these long decades longing for children. She was barren, the Bible says. And not only that, but as we start to see the way that the Lord formed these early families, the, the way that the Lord brought about these early families in the Bible, the way that God is blessing Abraham over and over and over again, you see the way that these children of promise are born out of wombs that were written off as barren. Could never have children. As an aside, I want to say there's no pain and heartache like the pain and heartache of longing for a child. There's no pain and heartache like the pain and heartache of longing for a child. Whitney and I went through a, a short season of that, and we won't act as if it's comparable to what many have experienced in their lives, because we have three children now. But we got a small taste of that early on in our marriage, of that longing to have a child. And since then, as a pastor and as a family member of different people, I've seen the way that that pain and heartache can take such a toll on the soul of a human being. It's a difficult thing. Before we move on from this, I will say one thing. One of the things that I think that the devil likes to whisper in people's ear in those moments of longing, in those moments of difficulties, is that, that they're abandoned by the Lord. This has something to do with the fact that their relationship with the Lord, that maybe the Lord doesn't love them as much as, as much as He does others. Nothing could be further from the truth. I, I want you all to know that. I want you all to understand that. Longing doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love us. In fact, some of the most choice servants of the Bible went through intense seasons of pain and suffering. In fact, didn't our Lord's very own Son suffer greatly? But you see the way that this barrenness is an impact of the fall. The Bible told 
Abraham told Adam and Eve, and then Abraham and others would be fruitful and multiply. The Lord says your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. And yet, every time this comes up, can you imagine the pressure that someone like Isaac, who's been raised, being told, you are the son of promise. And one day, the Lord will bless the nations through our seed. And one day, God will crush the head of the serpent through our seed. And can you imagine how long those 20 years were? It's a fallen world. The curse of Genesis 3, when the fall happened, the Lord also said there will be enmity and strife between human beings. In particular, He says, between Adam and Eve. But we see the way from the earliest children, the Cain and Abel, all the way through the pages of Scripture, we see the way that the fall brought strife between those who ought to be closest in the world. What a shame it is that these two young men could not even share a womb. There's a struggle. And you see the way that the fall is working here in this text of Scripture. And you don't have to, you don't have to look at the Bible to see that yourself, do you? Don't, don't you see the way that sin's at work all around us? Don't you feel, don't you feel the weight of a fallen world? I do. I mean, don't you wake up in the morning and turn on the news and then immediately turn it off? Because you've already read Genesis 3. You don't, you don't need more evidence of the fall this morning. So some of you are groaning in your very own bodies because you can feel the weight of the fall every morning. Some of you, some of you are watching a loved one or, or watching a friend or watching someone else slowly slip from this world. You don't need to be reminded that we're fallen. You, you don't need to be reminded of the darkness. You live in it. And yet you must take heart. You must take heart because God is at work despite the fall. We are not those who grieve as if we have no hope. We take heart. We find strength knowing that God is at work even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of a Genesis 3 world, even despite the fall. God has taken that sin and He has taken that fallenness and He has taken the darkness. He has taken that gloom which covered Sinai when it dawned on all of humanity that we could never live up to God's standards and that thunder and that lightning. God took all of that reality and it touched down at the very heart of his son at Calvary. God is at work not only despite the fall, but God took the fall and flipped it on its head. He hip-tossed sin into great glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we live hopeful lives knowing that God is at work despite the weight of darkness and sin that we feel around us. Take heart, my brothers and sisters. Take heart. God is at work despite the fall. Second of all, God is at work according to His grace. God is at work according to His grace. Now, listen, Baptists start to get com a little uncomfortable, start twitching a little bit when you use the S word, sovereignty, around them. Start talking about God's sovereignty, start talking about God being in control of things, and Baptists start to just get a little nervous about it. And some of y'all grew up Presbyterian, and you feel like a fish back in the water right now. <laughs> you said, I've been wait, 
Kent Back's been waiting every Sunday, you know? But so often we're troubled by thoughts of God's sovereignty. And I understand why people struggle with it. I, I understand, but it does make me sad sometimes when I see how allergic people can be to this because God revealed this truth to us not to scare us or not to worry us. God revealed His sovereignty to His people. He taught us about the fact that He's in control to comfort us. This ought to be comfort to you, Christian. You see, so often we have problems with God's sovereignty because we don't understand that God is at work according to a purpose, and that is His purpose of grace. God is at work on behalf of His people according to His grace. Do you see the beauty of this? Even in the midst of the fall, God's purpose of grace is at work. You, you see the way. You see the way that Rebecca is troubled by this. Why is this happening to me? And the Lord says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And then his brother comes out holding Esau's hill, and they call his name Jacob, which means something like trickster or deceiver. Do you see what God's doing? God is turning human wisdom on its head. All throughout the Bible, you see this happen. Who is it that you expect to lead God's people? It's the one who's bold and articulate and wonderful. And yet, God chooses Moses, the one who stuttered. Who will lead God's people? Who will fight the battles of the Lord? Who will lead God's people mightily out into place? Surely it's the one who is handsome and strong and stands head and shoulders over all the rest of the people. Oh, certainly it's Saul, or perhaps if it's not Saul, if after he's been rejected, certainly it's the strongest and the best of the sons of Jesse. And yet, who does God pick? The runt of the pack. And surely when the Messiah comes, right? Surely when the Messiah comes, He will come in great glory and honor and He'll overthrow Rome. And certainly the disciples will then be seated at His right hand as He establishes His kingdom and He restores glory unto Israel. And yet what does God do? Do He chooses the one, He establishes the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. He raises up the one who is born in a stable. And how does He reverse the glory of the world and how does he make the change that needs to be made how is it that he establishes Israel forever he does it by allowing and sending his son to the very cross to be nailed to a cross of wood by the Romans and here we see the way that God is at work not according to the wisdom of man but God is at work bringing children out of barrenness we, we would never expect the Lord to choose the one who cannot have a child more than once to bring the child of promise into the world, and yet He does. And yet, the wisdom of man would say that the one who's strong and mighty, the firstborn, ought to be the one that leads, ought to be the one that's in control. And yet, God, from the very beginning, before they had done anything, the Bible says God establishes Jacob over Esau. Why? 
in order that God's promise of grace might stand. It's not by works. It's 100% by God's grace. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, Paul tells us in Romans 9, but on God who has mercy. And isn't it just like the Lord to take what seems strong in our eyes and turn it on its head and instead use what's weak in our eyes? This is why it's so easy, I think, for us to misunderstand our suffering. And I think it's part of what makes it so hard for us to get on board with the comfort that comes in God's sovereignty. Because so many of us, and myself included so often, are still addicted to the thought that our obedience guarantees us God's favor. That our obedience guarantees us God's favor. We feel like the world is something our Father owns, and so we ought to be treated like the owner's children everywhere we go in the world. We ought to be treated, given special privileges and, and, and treated in special ways, but haven't you seen enough of the Bible to know that that's not the case? Haven't you lived long enough in this world to know that's not the case? Precious saints, brothers and sisters, even those of you who are desperate for a change in your life today, I pray that what you can see in the Bible is that God means good for you no matter what. That God is at work to move according to His own good pleasure. That God is doing things according to His purpose of grace. And this morning, if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, this morning, if you know Jesus and have trusted Jesus, my friends, you can know for sure that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Do you see this? Do you feel this in your heart? Do you see the way that God is at work according to grace? Not to establish us always in the ways we want, not to always establish us in the eyes of the world, but there's a, a glory that's brewing even in the humiliation of our suffering, which a trillion years from now will feel just like a simple trip trickle in time. And yet forever and ever and ever, we will be loved by God perfectly through Christ. God's purpose of grace stands no matter what. That's what He's doing. And finally, God is at work in our decisions. God is at work in our decisions. Somebody here is held up right now. I know, because I know who you're thinking about. You, you, you love it. Man, I love it. I, you know, I love that I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I love the fact that God preserved the line of Israel for thousands of years, and I love the fact that God brought the Lord Jesus into the world, and I love the fact that God has an eternal purpose of grace for me, and I, I love the fact that I'll know Him in heaven forever, and I, I love this. I love it. But what about Esau? What, what, what about Esau? The, the Bible says... That before they'd done anything, God established Isaac over Esau. We tend to feel bad for him. But be careful about how you think about this. Because while God is sovereign, man is still responsible. We're, we're still responsible for our actions. Jacob's certainly not innocent, but we understand that, right? God didn't choose Jacob because he was the better brother. 
He chose him according to his grace. It's not based on what he's done. It's based on who God is. God is working to bring the Christ into the world so that we all can be saved through him. But notice what the text says. Notice what the Bible says. Once Jacob was cooking stew and Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, some of your birthright now. Now, Jacob's not in the right. And listen, the Lord's going to deal with Jacob. Don't, don't worry about that. But notice what Esau says. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, is God in control? Absolutely. But Esau is making decisions. Esau chose to sell his birthright. He despised it, the Bible says. He sold his special status as firstborn son for a pot of stew. He looked lightly upon what God was doing. He, he didn't have what I would call a gospel understanding. He, he didn't understand that God was at work to bring grace into the world through his family. He, he didn't understand what God was at work doing. And so a birthright to him meant nothing. It meant something like a pot of stew. He'd sell it. He treated what God was doing lightly. He despised the work of the Lord. And sometimes I fear we're doing the same thing. In fact, every time we sin, what are we really doing? We're saying, Lord, that which I can provide for myself is better than that which you've given me in Christ. God, I'd rather have this pot of stew. I'd rather have my longings temporarily satisfied than to have your rich blessings in the long run. And some of you in this room have made horrible decisions in your life. I don't mean that to be unkind or whatever else, but you don't need me to tell you that. Some of you are, even now, walking down a path of sin. Sin that the Bible says leads to destruction. Some of you, even now, might be flipping over onto this channel on the TV, and you see a preacher, and you think, well, I might just give it one more chance before I go the direction I feel like I've got to go. You feel like your sin is inevitable. You feel like you must give up and give in. But I want you to know something. God works even through your horrible decisions. God works even through your sin. And I want you to know today that you don't have to be like Esau precisely because of what God is doing in this text and raising up Jacob. And one day he'll rename him Israel and he will preserve those people Israel even when they don't deserve, when, even when they don't deserve it, even when they try to trade God's blessings for anything and everything. Things that make a pot of stew look wonderful, God's people would trade the Lord's promises in on. In fact, the Bible uses the imagery for Israel and God's people as that of an unfaithful wife. And yet God was faithful all the way down the line. When so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, from Abraham when the promise was made, 
up until this very moment, God was faithful, so faithful that He preserved the nation of Israel in order that He might bring someone named Jesus into the world. Emmanuel, God with us, so that He could come to His people. And, and not only that, but God took the punishment that we all deserved in such a way that you can receive God's promises no matter what you've done, no matter what decisions you've made, no matter how you've rebelled against your Creator, no matter how you've rebelled against your God. God has been faithful. He preserved for Himself a people in order that He might bring the Messiah into the world and today this very day that good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who was crucified for your sins and raised on the third day has made it right here today to Gadsden Alabama and even now you have an opportunity to turn from your sins to put down that nasty pot of stew and to turn unto the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved God's purpose of grace stands and that grace has reached even me even you and dear saint no matter what decisions you've made if you are in Christ nothing can separate you from the love of God that love that love has made it this far certainly it won't fail now my friends, I want to offer to you an invitation this morning. I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God in faith through Jesus. And that's true for those of you who are Christians in the room today. Would you turn from those sins which you feel so tempted by and turn to God in faith in Christ, trusting that His way is better, repenting of your sins and continuing to trust in Jesus more? You already know Him. He's keeping you, but one of the means by which God keeps you is through your own act of faith and repentance ongoing through your life. And that grace has reached perhaps some of you this morning who have never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time. And even as I mention that, you might feel your cheeks start to redden and you may feel your heart start to beat harder because you're so worried about the world might think. But what I want you to know is if every eye in this room was judging you, if every person in this world were lo looking down their nose at you, and they won't, but if they were, I want you to know that right now it's not them that you need to worry about. Would you come to the loving, open arms of your Savior? Who, though the whole world may reject you, He loves you. He cares for you. He doesn't care what you've done. He accepts you fully today. And perhaps the grace of the Lord is leading you to unite with a church family, unite with a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. I want you to do business right with the Lord, right where you are. And if you need someone to talk to after this service, I'll be available. Let me pray for us, and I want you to do business with the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here and hear this story about two nations. And Lord, I pray that even today, as they see this reality, that some here would step into the very city of God by faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.